So take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. This morning we are looking at the purpose of peace. So we looked at the, I'm not going to remember all these, we looked at the requirement of peace. We looked at the, oh goodness, Luke 2, 14, the, uh, some other thing about peace. I should have written these down. Some of y'all that take notes when, you, when I preach, help me out. Uh, kids, yes, if we have any children who aren't familiar with our kids' table, uh, you can go there now and you can color and write and activity have activities uh, to, to keep your attention for a little while. K through 5. So yes, we looked at, here I'm going to tell you right now, we looked at the, uh, the requirement for a piece, then we looked at, if my iPad would uh, work with me, the provider of peace, Luke 2.14. Last week we looked at the unattainable peace, the fact that we can't do anything to get it. And as a matter of fact, the peace that we often or so often talk about is, is peace that we can never have. Peace in, in, in relationships, peace uh, among countries, and that sort of thing. This week, now, we are looking at the purpose of peace. We established last week that we can have peace, that our peace is an internal peace. Our peace is peace with God, a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. This morning, we look at Romans chapter 5, and we are going to see the purpose of peace. Why is peace so important? Why was the announcement of peace on earth, peace in the hearts of people, why is that so important? Well, we begin by going back to World War II. I, I tend to have some favorite illustration points, and World War II serves a lot of purposes for sermon illustrations. The Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan was started by Secretary of State George C. Marshall. It was his idea after World War II. Uh, he, he came up with it. He pushed it. And he came up with the idea in 1947, and I believe that's when it was voted on and approved, and it took a little while to get going. So it actually began in 1948 and ended in 1951. The Marshall Plan cost $13 billion. And we think, well, that's chump change. Well, in today's numbers, that's $145 billion. So now we're talking about a little bit more money, a little higher cost. They spread it out over the countries of Western Europe. They didn't spread it evenly. It was on a per capita basis on one hand, and on the other hand, it was also a uh, how can you, uh, how are you going to best use it, and, and what's going to be the result of you using it. If, if, if we give you this money, are you going to insulate yourself, or are you going to help the continent and, and the island of, of Great Britain? But it was the, the purpose of this was to help rebuild Western Europe and to discourage communism, twofold purpose. Now, there was a very similar plan for uh, Asian countries at the end of uh, World War II, but we're just talking about the Marshall Plan today. You, they wanted to reconstruct cities because Europe had been decimated. The U.S., as, as we know, was almost completely uh, untouched. After Pearl Harbor, 
and uh, a few little battles on the Aleutian Islands of Alaska. Uh, nothing happened too much on our shores. Europe, of course, was a totally different situation. German cities especially, but cities all over Europe, were bombed into oblivion. And there was just nothing left in some of these places. So they wanted to reconstruct the cities. The, the bridges and the roads had been destroyed because that's what you do if you're, if you're the conquering uh, army. You destroy the roads and bridges that the enemy might use. And if you're the losing army and you're leaving, you destroy the roads and bridges that the enemies might use. And when you're bombing everything else, you go ahead and you bomb the roads and bridges. So they had to rebuild all of that stuff. And they also wanted to provide money for the growth of industry, the expansion of trade. They needed to get the agriculture going again. There had been a horrible famine in Europe, 1945, 46, into 47. So the Marshall Plan was intended to do all of those things. We would, we would call that peace with a purpose. The U.S. and other countries could have just said, all right, we're done. One, you lost. See ya. We don't owe you anything. Y'all started this. We ended it. Good luck. But that's not what they did. They wanted peace with a purpose. Peace with reconciliation of the countries. Peace with growth of the countries. Romans 5 verses 1 through 11 shows us a picture of peace with a purpose. It says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. This passage is bracketed by reconciliation, peace. It talks about our justification in, in Christ Jesus. The, the first couple of verses, you hear the, the echoes of the very thing the angel said. They, uh, they were joy, seemed, uh, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. They were rejoicing. We are told the shepherds went away rejoicing. And if you look at the first uh, 
uh, let's see, it's verse 3, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just the, the message is there. The message of Christmas is reiterated really over and over and over by Paul through his letters, but we see it so clearly here. So what is the purpose of peace? What is the purpose of the reconciliation that we have with God through Jesus Christ? The first purpose that we see here is to obtain access. To obtain access. It says, since we have been declared righteous by faith, the, another word for declared righteous is justified. That's the word we usually use. We have peace with God. Verse 2, we, also, we have also obtained access. Now, we've got to go back to verse 1. We have to remember from last Sunday that peace is only available and only permanently attainable through Jesus Christ. And the only peace that is available and permanently attainable is peace with God. We, we will never have peace in this world. We will never have peace with all of our neighbors, with all of our family members, with all the countries around the world. It's not going to happen. The only permanently attainable peace is peace with God, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. So we see in verse 1, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have been justified by faith. That's what comes first. Faith comes first. Then we have peace. So peace is a result of salvation, not prior to it. If you are looking for peace in your life, if anyone is looking for peace in their lives, and they are trying to find that peace without Jesus Christ, they will not find it. They may find some temporary quietness. They may find a, a moment where things calm down a bit in a relationship or something like that, but they will never have peace. Because that is a result of salvation. Jesus brings peace. And we don't get peace prior to our salvation. Just so you understand, uh, justified, that is, a, we are being declared innocent. There's a declaration of innocence. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'll talk about it in a minute. But that, just keep that image in your in your mind, I, I am innocent. When I feel convicted, when I feel guilty, and I know that I am guilty, I know also that I am not convicted as in there's a sentence hanging over me because of Jesus Christ. So we obtain access to peace, a result of salvation. We obtain access to joy because of grace. In verse 2, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. We rejoice actually in that hope of the glory of God. So when we get the access to the grace, we get joy because of grace. We have joy because we're declared righteous by faith. It was just a couple of weeks ago, and I've used this sort of illustration before, uh, just a couple of weeks ago that uh, a man who had been in prison for 30-something years was falsely convicted, and he got to go free. Can you imagine his joy because he had been declared in that instance 
about that particular crime. He had been declared righteous. We have been declared righteous, innocent, by faith. See, that gentleman may still be accused. There may be people that don't believe he's innocent. It doesn't matter. He has been declared innocent. There may be people that don't believe that you are righteous. And sometimes your actions are going to, well, you're going to prove them right. And I am too. But the joy that we have is that even in our sinfulness, we have been declared righteous by faith. Not because the evidence got overturned. The evidence is clear that we are sinners. Yet by faith, we are declared righteous. We rejoice in that. We rejoice because of the grace of verse 2, the hope that we have uh, in, in, in the glory of God. Verse 3, we have joy in our affliction. Not only that, he says. That's great. Joy in, your, in the grace. Peace from salvation. But not only that. We don't only joy to the world for that. We joy to the world because of our affliction. And he is not just talking about joy during affliction. Nor is he talking about just joy during persecution. He's talking about the afflictions that don't come because, just because of persecution. He's talking about hurricanes and pandemics. Joy in the midst of these things. And not joy in spite of them. Not just that. Yes, we want to have joy in spite of those things. But he is talking about joy because of those things. Well, that hurts more. All right, Jesus, I can have peace in the storm, but not like the storm. And he says, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, no, no, you don't just have peace, you don't just have joy in the storm, you need to have joy because of the storm. We are to have joy because of Hurricane Laura. Now go home and think on that for a while, because I got to too. But that's the scripture. We have peace, we have joy in our affliction because uh, we have the hope of, of our salvation. And because of what it leads to. He says, afflictions, we, we, we rejoice in our afflictions. We rejoice because of Hurricane Laura, because we know that Hurricane Laura will produce endurance. Has anybody endured for the last 15 months? We know that affliction produces endurance, and we know that endurance produces proven character. I'm going to be honest, there's some days my character was not improved nor proven in the past 15, 16 months. But I like to think that I have grown, and I like to think that we all have. I know there has been greater patience with two weeks <laughs> Uh, along the way that maybe we would have had if, if this had happened and we were saying two weeks at, at the beginning of it. If in, if in September of last year I said, yeah, we're going to have everything done in two weeks. Well, first of all, you'd have fired me, then had me committed. And then you'd have never believed me again when I said two weeks. And you still don't. I get that. But at least I didn't start saying that until way toward the end. We have joy, we have, our, our, our character has been improven, uh, improved and proven, 
And that proven character, as we change, as we become more like Jesus, because that's the only way uh, our character improves, as we become more like Jesus, that character produced hope. Again, in the last 15, 16 months, have we begun to see a light at the end of the tunnel? We had hope that things were going to get better. We began to see sheetrock go up in here and, 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 and some paint on the walls and then flooring. But, but, but we're talking about things we can see, aren't we? Best hope, the truest hope, the, the truest confident expectation comes when we can't see. Back 15 months ago, when we met in here on September, September 20th, and we met when there was nothing but the outside walls and some studs, and we had hope then that these Sundays would eventually come. Confident expectation. And then as I sat down with insurance people and construction people, that, that confident expectation began to wane a little bit because I didn't understand a whole lot that they were talking about. And then, no, God has this. This is what God's doing. None of this surprised him. I have joy in this affliction. And then we are told in verse 5 that this hope that we have will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Poured out into our hearts. We have Peace, not a peaceful existence. Hear the difference. That's the theme of, of all of these messages this Christmas season. We have peace, not a peaceful existence. So the first purpose of this peace that we have is to obtain access. The second purpose is to end the war. Uh, Think of the Marshall Plan. It, some of the help that went into those uh, countries was to squash any uh, rebellion that might be there. Hey, let's put this behind us. Let's, let's, let, let us help you so that you see that the war is truly over. you got nothing to fight about now. You, you can't win. And here, let's make things a little easier on you so you don't want to fight again. Because if, if you start reading back, that was part of the issue with World War II. That's part of why Germany did what it did. They were so decimated in World War I that they never recovered. And the leadership said, I know how we can recover. Try to take over the world again. Bad idea, but that's what they were going for. Peace then the purpose of peace is to end the war. And we see the same thing in Scripture in verses 6 through 10. For while we were still helpless, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is going to take us further and further away from God in these couple of verses. Not take us further. We're all, we were already far from him. Show us how far we are from him. So he begins easier he says we were helpless for a while we were still helpless helplessness is the inability here not to do things but to do good the inability to do good 
There's none righteous. No, not one, Paul will say in Romans. None of us can do good things. You know as well as I do, if Lucky Young asked you how you were doing and you said good, no, you're not. There's nobody good. Yes, Lucky, I know, but I've been saved, so I am good. No, nobody's good. So we were helpless in our goodness. We couldn't do true good. Could we do good things occasionally? Possibly. But there was no goodness in us. We were helpless to, be, to, to realize any sort of goodness. So for, while we were still helpless, he's going to reiterate this in verse 8, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly or the godless. So not only were we helpless, we couldn't do good, but we were godless. We had no help from God. I've said before, and I'll, I'll say till I'm, I'm gone, or, or, or God clearly proves me wrong through Scripture, which He can, don't, don't think He can't. God does not hear the prayers, does not answer the prayers of a lost person. Now, what do I mean by that? Yes, he answers the prayer of salvation, and I believe he will answer the prayers to draw him to himself. But the relationship that we have with God as believers through prayer is totally different from the relationship that an unbeliever has with God through prayer. Yes, God hears everything, so he hears their prayers. He does not approach their prayers in the same manner. When a believer goes to God in prayer, it is his child going to the Father. When an unbeliever goes to God in prayer, it is a godless person looking for a quick fix from a heavenly vending machine. And God knows the difference. And God knows the prayer of the lost person that is saying, God, I, I don't know if you're there, but I need... I, 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 I want to believe. I need something from you. Can you show me? And he hears the sincerity of the heart versus the person who is one more time caught in some situation and say, oh, I just pray to God he gets me out of this. What God are you praying to? Because it's not the, the God that you serve. You're the God you serve. And you call on this other one that you don't even know anything about when you need him. Godless. No help from God. And that was all of us. We were godless. Prior to our salvation, we are godless. Now, of course, we are taught and we are evangelized. Prayerfully, we get to grow up in a good Bible-preaching church where you hear the gospel regularly from the day you were born until that moment where, oh, you go, now I get it. And you're raised up in that. And if not, then at some point you respond. But prior to salvation, we are godless. We have no father. We have a creator, but not a father. The purpose of peace is to end that. The third purpose, uh, the, the third thing that, uh, uh, the third part of the war that peace ends is the fact that we are sinners. For rarely will someone die for a just person, verse 7. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners. Now the way Paul phrases that implies that we are now no longer sinners. 
Well, you and I both know that you and I both still are sinners. We know we've not overcome that. We know we've not fixed the sin problem in its, uh, in its occurrence. But we have fixed the sin problem in, our, in its source. And when Paul talks about sinners here, he's not simply talking about people who do bad things. He is talking about those who are separated from God. That's what he means by sinner. And while, yes, we were sinners and we still sin, we are not sinners. We are not separated from God as believers. 1 John puts it uh, this way. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we pray to him when we need something, but we walk in darkness, we are not his, we are godless, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. We are sinners. We are separated from God. So we're getting worse. You're helpless. You're godless. You have no help from God. You're a sinner. You are separated from God. But oh, oh, friend, it gets worse. Verse 9. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous, justified, believers, we've been declared just, uh, righteous, justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? It's a hypothetical question. Believers, you know you've been saved. You know how great the salvation and the justification is that can save you from wrath, but I want to point out the fact that before justification, before salvation, your earned wage was wrath. Paul's going to say this here in the, in the next chapter, in verse uh, 23, our, our salvation verse that we've been using, our evangelism verse that we've been using for a while. The wages of sin is death, wrath, separation from God, right? We're just, we're just going back a little bit. Godless, no help. It's our earned wage is wrath. This is what we deserve. Death is God's wrath poured out. Separation, hell, and eternity of it is God's wrath. That is what we deserve and earned while we were still sinners. But if you think, well, I didn't do anything to God. Why is he pouring his wrath on me? Paul keeps going just to let us know how far from God we were. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Verse 10. For if, or since, while we were enemies. And this, is, this is a positive passage here. Don't, don't miss it. I'm, I'm focusing on the results of, of peace. I'm focusing now that, on the fact that the war has been ended because of this peace. He's, he's saying great things. Wrath is not yours. You're no longer an enemy, but you were. You were enemies with God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, but we were 
enemies. You were not at odds with God. You were at war with God. This wasn't a minor disagreement. This wasn't you thinking Seinfeld was a great comedy and God going, eh. You know, this wasn't one of those things. It wasn't you thinking, I believe all brownies should have pecans, and somebody else thinking, well, only heathens put pecans in brownies. That's an awful, awful idea. Don't ever do that. that, that that's a disagreement. That You're just at odds. This was a war. This was you were not just... Had an, you didn't just have a differing opinion from God. You were at war with God. You remember that battle? Now me either. But that does not mean I was any less lost. Doesn't mean I was any less a sinner. Doesn't mean that I didn't deserve the wrath. And it doesn't mean I wasn't an enemy with God. Some of you might remember when you were enemies of God. Some of you have a testimony that says... Yes, I fought him, and I fought him every chance I got. I enjoyed being an enemy of God. That's not my testimony. I got saved when I was nine years old. But you know what? As a pre-saved eight-year-old, nine-year-old, the moment I understood what salvation was, I was an enemy of God. Now, we believe that there's a point in time, not in a specific age, but a, 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 a mental point where you understand your need for a Savior. We call it an age of accountability. That phrase isn't in the Bible, but we understand that infants don't go to hell and babies don't go to hell and toddlers don't go to hell. But there's some point where we get to uh, an understanding of the need for salvation. And up to that point, there is a gracious uh, acceptance of a child by God. And then there's a point where we know we're sinners and we have realized our enemy status and then we become enemies. I think we could compare that to uh, any other war. Uh, there were, I'm certain... Many, many uh, Germans on the side of Germany that, that had no clue. Uh, the testimonies are there over and over. Had no clue what their country was doing. They were just Germans, and they were told to fight. And then when they realized what was going on, they were, wait a minute. I thought this was, um, you know, disagreement. It was not, I, I, I thought you were invading us. I thought this was, we're doing What? They, they realized their enemy status. And some of them said, well, that's a good reason to fight. Pow, pow. Pew, pew. And then others said, hmm, this is not for me. And they fought from within. They fought their own country. Dietrich Bonhoeffer being a great example of that. Fighting from within because he realized that, hey, this is not the, we are being, uh, they are creating enemies of us with other countries, with other people, with other ethnicities that we should not be enemies of. So we're enemies with God. We are at war, not just at odds, not just a difference of opinion. So peace allows us to obtain access to God. Uh, joy because of grace. Joy in our affliction. 
have access to these responses to life. Peace ends the war, ends the fact that we were enemies of God. And lastly, the purpose of peace is to bring reconciliation. As a matter of fact, probably the definition of peace is reconciliation. Verses 10 and 11. Read that verse again. For if we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, we are already reconciled, will we be saved by His life? Will we get salvation and glorification? Will we be with Him? Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Paul points to the future and says, one day we will experience the fullness of our salvation uh, by being with God in heaven. But don't miss the fact. He says, not only that in verse 11, we have now received the same reconciliation, the same peace that we will have when we see God as face-to-face as we'll ever see God. When we join Him in heaven. We have that now. That's crazy. We have heaven on earth. That's, that's the whole, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. That's what that is. Abundant life is experiencing heaven now. Verses 10 and 11, we see that peace is made. Reconciliation is made. The enemies are brought together. The U.S. and other countries, the allies, could have ended the war uh, with the Axis powers much earlier if the allies had just stopped fighting. But that would not have stopped the enemies from pressing forward. The Axis powers would have still tried to take over. They had particular goals they needed to reach. So backing off and saying, all right, I just won't fight anymore, would not have done any good. God could have decided, all right, I'm just going to back off. I'm just not going to be your enemy anymore. Problem is, never let that happen. If, 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 If God had given us an inch... We would have made ourselves a ruler. We would have taken up all we could have. Oh, you're not going to fight anymore? Well, that just means you're weak. If we're not enemies anymore, we're taking over. So he made peace. But not just by declaring, okay, stop fighting. No, it's okay. But by sending his son. By reconciling us. By by taking his son, putting him on a cross, verse 10, it reconciled to God through the death of his son. And if he did that, if he was willing to do that, how much more will we be saved by looking at the life of Christ? See, not only are we reconciled with God, but we are constantly being reconciled with God. That word that we use is sanctification. We grow more and more like Jesus every day, or at least we are supposed to. That's that's the goal. Peace is made, but it requires some work. Now, I mentioned already that justified is a legal term. Justified is legal. And that's what I mean by that. It's a legal term. It means declared innocent. Uh, One way to remember what it means is it's 
just as if I'd never sinned, justified. It's like it never happened. Reconciliation is relational. So when we are justified, when we are declared righteous, that's the legal term. Again, God could have said, you're declared righteous, even by the blood of Jesus, even if that had been the parameter, faith in Christ to be declared righteous, and that is the parameter. But if he had said, that's the parameter, but we are, you are justified, but we are not reconciled, then we have an existence of, we would call that armistice, not really, not armistice, um, what is it when just for time you quit fighting? Truce? It'd be kind of a truce, not peace. This always be, well, we're just not going to, we're not going to talk about what happened. You know, this, you're, you're justified, you're innocent. Now let's go our separate ways. Now that would have done us no good either. The legal term is that we are justified, but reconciliation is that relationship. Through Jesus Christ, God brought together the two warring parties. We could have gone our separate ways. In theory, I mean, we can't get away from God. Y'all, y'all know that. I'm, I'm, I'm hypothetically, theoretical. We, we could have gone our separate ways. And it, and it could have happened in, in wars where we just say, you done shooting? Yeah. You Are you? Yeah. All right. And we go on. It's not what God wanted. God didn't want this chasm. He didn't want just, you're declared innocent, the war's over, let's move on. He wanted relationship. He wanted to bring together the two warring parties. See, when, when a, we have a new relationship with a former enemy, that new relationship produces the hope of new relationship fruit. We, we, we begin to do things together. We, be able, we begin uh, to uh, um, work with each other. That, that was the Marshall Plan. The, the, the conquering countries, as in this case, it would have just been the U.S. primarily. This was just U.S. money. Going to both sides. Had, uh, had Russia not come in, had the Soviet Union not come in and created the Iron Curtain so that some of those countries didn't get any of the help, they would have gotten it too. West Germany got it, East Germany didn't, if you remember those days. Um, it, it was available for anyone who would have a relationship, who would reconcile. And then those countries would work together. That's what led to NATO the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That, that's what led to, that was the precursor to our relationship with Europe that has lasted to this day so that when one of us goes to war with a country, whether it's Iraq or, or whatever's happening, the other countries, for the most part, say, we got to jump in there because we're, we are united in this. We have a relationship, and that relationship bears fruit. In this case, the, the greatest fruit was economic. Trade opened up again, and we were able to help the countries come out of their famine. So the result of this 
reconciliation, this new relationship, this, this reconciliation and peace, is that we share that reconciliation and peace. We get to go to other countries, so to speak, and say, I have peace with, with, with a former enemy. And not only do I have peace with this enemy, this is, this is not just um, an uneasy ceasefire. This is true peace. We have a relationship now, and, and we work together. That is what we get to do in relationship and in coordination. Well, actually, it's our calling with, from God, with God is go to others who are enemies with God and say, we found peace. We're no longer his enemy. We get to share that. And, and, and the beautiful thing is, because of our relationship with God, we are empowered to do that. When, when the U.S. gave money to France to rebuild, that relationship, that that. that that part of the Marshall Plan allowed France then to build its relationships with countries around it. And so on and so forth. So the relationship, the reconciliation spread. They got to reconcile here and they got to reconcile there. All because this reconciled with that. That is what we do with God. When we reconcile with God, we then have not just the opportunity, but we have the responsibility to share that reconciliation and that peace. And what we share with is the fact that there is no peace without Jesus. We don't get that. No one does. There is no peace without Jesus. Jesus is the martial plan of our lives. The, the, the cross was the, if I'm going to go back a few Sundays to another uh, uh, illustration, the, the cross is the, the Potsdam Declaration, the, the treaty that's signed, the unconditional surrender that I talked about. We, we look at the cross and it says, you got nothing, I got everything, you can either come to me in, in faith, or you can continue to be my enemy. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't buy it. You can't appease me. You can't sacrifice enough. It will only take your entire life. And we come to, to, to the cross and we, we give our lives to, to Jesus and we experience salvation. And then the peace comes in. Then the Marshall Plan comes in. Christ moves in. The Holy Spirit leads us. And we begin to see that worked out in our lives. The peace that we now have with God provides for the growth of our hope and the expansion of our witness. We get all the resources we need to be everything God has called us to be, not as his enemy now, but as his child. Jesus is that Marshall Plan. The purpose of peace is not just for me. The purpose of, for peace is to see my life grown in Christ and shared with my neighbors. That's the purpose of peace. If we begin to think that peace on earth was merely 
individualistic and for my own enjoyment, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the true, perfect peace. You can have peace today. Not peace around the world, not a peaceful existence, but peace with God. You don't have to be an enemy of God today. Romans 6, 23, just a few paragraphs on. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. The, the wages, the, what we deserve, what we have earned by our sinfulness. The wages of sin. We are sinners. We are godless and hopeless and enemies of him. And there is nothing we can do, nothing we can do about our separation. And so the wages that we've earned, what we deserve is death. Eternal separation. Prior to Jesus, in this life, we are separated from God. And if, if we do nothing about that, we will spend an eternity separated from God. Those are the wages. But Paul goes on to say the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift. It is offered. It is placed under the tree. Or actually, it was placed on the tree. And it is there for us to take, for us to receive. But if we do not receive the gift, we never experience the purpose of the gift. We never experience the joy of the gift. We never experience the peace of the gift. So that gift that we must receive from God, the one who planned all this while we were still sinners, is eternal life. Not separation from God, not death, but an eternity with God. We were once enemies, and now God wants us to spend eternity with Him. And we can have that if we respond to that eternal life that's offered in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You will not have peace with God without Jesus you will not have peace with God without responding to Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner, and Lord, I want to receive the free gift of salvation that you offer. I don't want to be your enemy anymore. I want to be reconciled. I want a relationship, and I want you to use me for your kingdom. My life is no longer mine. It is yours to use as you see fit. I am taking Jesus as my Savior. He's going to take care of the sin problem. And my Lord, I am no longer in control, and I am no longer in charge. Will you make that decision today to follow Jesus? You can do that. And you will have peace with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the peace is still offered. The peace is a free gift. The peace is not something we can earn, and it's not something we can ever uh, just suddenly happen upon. God, it is a gift that you have given through your Son, Jesus Christ. And if we do not respond to that, we will, we will never experience it. So this morning, I pray for those who are listening and have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they need to respond in faith to experience the peace that you offer.
God, I pray for believers that have been devastated by the lack of a peaceful existence. And it's caused them to wonder and question and frankly get mad at you. And you're not scared of our anger. Your shoulders are big enough to handle it all. But some of us aren't just angry. We're, we're, we're turning from you. Turning our backs on you. You never leave us nor forsake us. But we want to turn our backs on you. And we just say there's no way God could allow this. God, give us the joy in our affliction. Give us the joy. Give us joy for our affliction. May we see how you are going to use the affliction to do incredible things in our lives, to produce endurance that will produce proven character, that will produce hope, that will not disappoint us. Because our confident expectation is an eternity with you. You are our hope. Lord, may we as believers remember the joy and find it again in peace with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a decision you'd like to make this morning, if you would just like a time of prayer for peace or for hope, Tom is going to be down here over to my right at the front. Uh, Lee Bird, one of our deacons, is in the back. If you'd like to pray with somebody, they would love to pray with you. Maybe you'd just like a little clearer explanation of how you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. They will be happy to walk, through, walk you through that. Maybe you just need to pray about something. Maybe you need to do any one of these things that are on the screen. You need to follow in obedience in some way. If you're online watching, you can comment there on the live stream, or you can send us a message on Facebook email us here at the church, go to our website, and you can see, or Facebook, and you can see how to get a hold of us. But we're going to have a time of response to God this morning, a time where we rejoice in the peace that we have, a time where we rejoice in the fact that Jesus didn't come for the, the well, the, the healed, the whole. He came for the sick, the broken, the ones who didn't have peace, the enemies of God, and that is every one of us. So let's stand, sing, reflect on the message this morning, see what God is doing in our hearts, and let him work on us today.